Hey, everybody. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of October 27th, 2022. I am Charles Hain. I'm here with Editor-in-Chief of No Film School, George Edelman. Hello. Filmmaker Gigi Hawkins. Hello. Cinematographer and Am I a Filmmaker on YouTube, Todd Blankenship. I love how you always call that out. Hey, how's it going? I love that I mean, it's, it's like, like crisis. It, it's like a crisis that we're all always having. And we <laughs> don't memorialize this as that's, my... That's why I came up with it. That's that's the reason for the name. A cri- it is Every the YouTube channel should be named after existential angst. Like somebody needs the Howling Fantods YouTube channel. <laughs> Am um, I a YouTube channel? <laughs> <laughs> is this a podcast? <laughs> oh, man. I wish... Am I yeah. even here? We could start a whole business uh, around this. Just imposter yeah. syndrome LLC. <laughs> back to the head, back to the topics. First up this week, we're talking about short verse, a new platform from short of the week, which is wondering if they are a short platform. Uh, <laughs> we're following that up with Dolly and Dolly is really wondering if Dolly is an artist. Dolly yes. regularly sits in its bank and says, am I an artist? Um, and then we've got in tech news. Oh, that was tech news. I, I did it out of order. We're also going to talk about giving notes and creative feedback because that's important. And we have some stuff to follow up on from last week. And then we have an Ask No Film School about working with uh, what accessories we think are worth it for the uh, shooting on your iPhone. So that is this week on the No Film School podcast. Our first topic this week, short verse. Take it away, Gigi Hawkins. Yeah. So last week we touched upon our shorts, a thing, do they have an audience, et cetera. And I think we all agreed that we love Craig Mazin and we also, (laughs) (laughs) and we also are big fans of, of shorts and want to see them succeed. And I would be remiss to not bring up Shortverse, which launched, I believe two weeks ago from the uh, short of the week team who are, you know, pretty well known as curators in the short space. I feel like when, you, after you've done a festival run, if you can get short of the week or Vimeo staff pick, that's like icing on the cake and a perfect digital launch. So that team recently launched a new platform called Short Verse, and it is a place where an ad-free space to host. It doesn't host videos because it the shorts can be put on from YouTube or Vimeo, so you're not losing that count. But it's a subscription-based social network for creators, and it's been just delightful to be on it. I signed up the day it launched because I have impulse control issues, and that email hooked me. And I've always been a fan of Short of the Week. And so far, I've loved being able to discover these sort of emerging, it feels like a great space for emerging filmmakers. I think because it is ad-free and because it's a subscription-based space, it feels like a very curated and engaged audience, which I really appreciate. And I love this this community-building element of it because it feels like it's creating a special space for projects outside of... Uh, you know, I go to YouTube and it feels a lot more like uh, unboxing videos, uh, getting into that <laughs> space. No shame to those. And then I and Vimeo has obviously moved into a much more like corporate direction. No shame there. Also a Vimeo subscriber. But yeah, it's been really fun to to be reconnecting with other filmmakers that I've known in the past and also see this sort of like next, uh, I'd say like 
the space that you make in before you are at the level of like being selected for short of the week, still high quality stuff, still an engaged audience. And yeah, so that's, that's sort of the high level of I'm, short verse. I'm so glad you brought it up. You're doing my job for me in a lot of ways <laughs> because Jason from short of the week and now short verse, which he told me is not a metaverse thing. I promise. Uh, emailed me a while ago about this and we've been trying to get together to do a piece on it. And here's some of the cool stuff he told me that I want to share. He said, the impetus for building this was simply observing that a lot has changed for filmmakers since the early days, the number of short films, the opportunities, but people are finding it hard to find a place where, where it can be seen and given consideration. So I, I think that there's a lot of cool inspiration from the, like the maker side behind this that's like place to do shorts place to build community place to engage over content and the actual content itself and not working so much on the algorithm the social algorithm side that's kind of like the what do they call it again the test to study to test or whatever (laughs) it's just like right like you're just like you're doing it for the likes or whatever So I think that there's some really exciting stuff about this. I'm going to put in the show notes for this episode, more information so people can get directly from the source, like a little more info about what's going on here. And we are on the site going to follow up on it and actually have somebody like dig in and write about it. Maybe it'll be Gigi. I don't know. We'll figure that out. But uh, because you're already excited about it. So it's great. But yeah, it's a place where there's, there's a lot of value to a short for people like I've tried to put more into our interview slate with podcasts too, people who are doing shorts, because there's a lot of learning and development that happens there that we should talk about and highlight more as an entity of no film school. And I think like feature films and television and stuff is kind of like one end of the spectrum, but it's, it's valuable to engage with this end, I think. So I'm excited about this thing. Can I highlight one thing that I'm really excited to test out with the with the short verse with short the short verse with short verse? So I just finished a short. We we got to lock like we did color, we did sound. We are at lock, and it's very exciting. But it's also anticlimactic if you're going to try and do a festival run or whatever. But short verse has a pre-launch website like feature, so you can launch a page for your for your project and i think that you can get it even like checked out and reviewed before you release it publicly but i feel like it's a it's a little way to showcase this huge milestone you can create a page and you can put a little teaser on there and uh, you don't have to pay for a s- squarespace or whatever and then you you can at least share it and put it out in the world and be like hey stake in the ground i made this short it's done coming soon uh so that was <laughs> That's like a very exciting thing that I'm going to be testing out in the next week or so once we get our poster set. Yeah, that is this is this is very exciting. Like you hit the nail on the head with the anticlimactic thing. Like you it used to be so like it used to be Vimeo was like a kind of a place where you could sort of get some eyes on stuff and I'm I mean I don't think it's a secret that they've kind of gone a different direction lately and I mean obviously YouTube is just it's not really the place for for getting a lot of eyes on a short film unless it's like really gimmicky in some sort of way but um yeah I mean I just also I feel like because sh- we're putting this on YouTube we should like insert something gimmicky right in the middle there <laughs> <laughs> so, like like just in the middle of the video but yeah um, yeah 
Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll be thinking. We got to hold we can... something up to camera, right? Holding something up to camera is like the key <laughs> right, right, right. No, I got yeah, it. I'll, I'll go. do like oh. a live. I'll do a live uh, AI piece of art um, while we're talking. <laughs> so oh, I'll just man. open up Dolly and I'll just With type in some share? random nonsense and uh, you know make well, some you art. Could, you could type into awards. Dolly like four people on a podcast talking about yeah. Dolly. Like, <laughs> see what Dolly creates, and then we'll put that in the middle of the screen. And there yeah. we go. Okay. I think we're on to it. But yeah, no, it, it definitely, it just feels like I, I've had the same problem with like, I mean, even like it, there's kind of the same issue in a lot of areas, like what, even with like photography, I, I, there doesn't really seem to be like a great place to share like good photography anymore and like kind of the same way with short films and stuff. So it's, yeah, it's really exciting that there's this, this new platform. I'm going to have to check that out. I also, I think there's something interesting about this in that it, I'm not going to say it feels industry focused. But right now it feels a little industry focused and I am a okay with that. Like if it doesn't try and build a mass audience, like if it doesn't get a bunch of viewers in Winnipeg, but it has a bunch of people in LA and New York who are assistants who are always looking for new talent, mm -hmm. that is okay with me and maybe yeah. equally great. Because for one sure. thing, you know, like in the decade where Vimeo was very much more focused on short narrative, like, Vimeo was the platform where I knew a lot more people who had something that like got short of the week on Vimeo or got like whatever else on Vimeo. And like, it led to a bunch of meetings, you know, didn't always go anywhere, but it, like it like sparked an interest and that I don't know anybody for whom that's happened on YouTube. And I actually had a viral hit on YouTube in 2009 that got like a million hits in a week. And it led to a whole swath of business within that industry, but not within Hollywood. Like the clients in that business were like, Oh fuck, you did that. I'll hire you. But, it wasn't anything outside of that. Vimeo had always done that, but I haven't heard a story of Vimeo doing that in the last four or five years because Vimeo has other directions. Still love me some Vimeo, still a pro subscriber. And I think it could be interesting if Shortverse is only for with it. If Shortverse gets 10 assistants in LA and New York checking in on it regularly, it's still a worthwhile enterprise, I think. Also, I just looked at the site and it looks quite slick. And I logged into Dolly and I said, four people on a podcast, <laughs> digital art. <laughs> and uh can i share screen is you, there you a screen you can. Can. i think you can <laughs> this is this is our first um visual only portion talk about meta <laughs> hey we're on youtube now everyone who's only audio get get with oh, it if you're check audio out the... <laughs> only check it out on youtube or just <laughs> suffer is this, this a short verse video yeah <laughs> um Charles, I, I liked your point about I don't want to say it's good that it's industry or whatever, but I think it's good that it's industry. I mean, there's that. I hate to put it in this while Charles is figuring out the screen share, maybe. <laughs> but like, I hate to put it in this context. I have to log and, out and log back in. So I, I, oh, okay. have, I, don't, I, Forget. I don't think it's we'll worth it's breaking up. my connection. Yeah, oh, no, if I leave and not. come back, it's okay, right? Sure. Let's try it. <laughs> okay. We're making, <laughs> your, we're making sacrifices over here <laughs> with your masterpiece. What I was going to say is that thing of like, you don't want to say shorts are like the developmental leagues or the minor leagues or whatever. Cause they're not, cause they're genius. They're, they're great standalone things, but using them as a way to get a quicker sense of someone's capacity to do like certain storytelling and like execute certain things and like cut their teeth or just know like what's their eye like or what's their like all that stuff you know that oh here we go <laughs> <laughs> oh, all man. dudes all, yeah, all I was gonna dudes. say very not very 
Not very I really representative. Like <laughs> Podestat. Pod. <laughs> it looks like they're uh, on the. <laughs> is Nosferatu hosting on the bottom left one there? Like, who? Oh my God. <laughs> I think they wow. got at least so three of the four of us are well represented. <laughs> That's for sure. Pequato Stott over on the right. It looks like the third co-host <laughs> is a beer, or is that a banana? Which makes which is which makes sense. I mean, I feel like that's true for most podcasts, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, either way, one of these should become our our logo or someone's logo. <laughs> I think the best thing uh, is AI text. Because it can't handle yes, like doing tech, it so it it is. It just it's like the AI is trying to write, <laughs> and it doesn't know how. <clears throat> That's like the best segue ever, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks for that, Charles. The horror. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, so yeah, our next topic that we are segueing to is sorry to interrupt you with our amazing digital art. We're going to keep talking <laughs> about AI and machine learning, not just because it's a meme you've probably seen on Twitter about VC funds moving from crypto to AI and machine learning. Or my favorite Twitter thread uh, that I saw recently where someone tweeted, as someone who's been in AI since early October, I'm shocked at all the new people joining recently. And, um, (laughs) you know, AI, we have to continue to reckon with AI as how it's going to affect our job as filmmakers. And like, you know, I was teaching a class yesterday on color grading. And I was like, guys, I, I now have to teach you color lab AI because I cannot in good conscience teach you color grading without teaching you this AI tool that isn't going to replace you, but that is something you are going to have to learn to collaborate with because it might make your job faster. And honestly, it was an undergrad class. If I was an undergrad about to graduate, I would want to know all the AI tools because the old fogies, me at the post house or the production company are looking to the 22 year old fresh hire to know how to do all of the AI shit. And the thing that specifically kicked this off is the New York Times has run their like fifth article of the year which is like, no, seriously, guys, AI has gotten so much better from our article two months ago. <laughs> they ran an article in July, which is almost was... like it's learning. Yeah. <laughs> um, the big news, I guess, around it is that a lot of the articles early in the year for things like Mid Journey and Open, whatever, not Open C, that's nifty. Todd, Todd knows, right? Um, all the ones. There's like at this so point, there, there's <laughs> 500 billion of them, and I'm sure they're like you could just say two random little tech sounding words together, and there's one that's called that. So like Open Dream, yeah, that's probably one. Like Wrench Grand, like like yeah, Spin Top. Oh, I should have done this <laughs> spin for top. Yeah, that's tag. I've got the the special Airy cup that would get us YouTube hits, right? Oh, everybody oh, you know, loves Airy. You you Sorry, that's how that's how you know you're a filmmaker. You got the Airy cup. Hmm. It just means you went to a party. <laughs> we answered your question, Todd, of am I a filmmaker? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, yep. So I, you know, I'm probably a little uh, slow on, well, I'm definitely a little slow on all the things AI can do right now. Like we're talking about AI, like it's a person, like it's Haley Joel Osment in the Spielberg movie. <laughs> it's like, but, but it can do and help in all these ways. And it's becoming, um, <laughs> Oh man! Now we're seeing. Uh, am I an artist? Digital art. It's definitely this. Um, the Sinepa uh, and people. Oh, there we go. You know, we're in the world of. Uh, we're in the rabbit hole. But um, yeah, it looks like Russian, doesn't it? Like look like the yeah. <laughs> some kind of other language. When we're talking about all the things that AI can do, and we're also kind of fascinated by those weird, uncanny valley things that it can't do, like 
if you're generating art, there's all these cursed images on those free platforms when you're just like, oh my God, what did it create? Like a human with five arms or whatever, or a language that you can't read. But it's just the, the rate at which it's developing and changing what we can do and who does what is pretty insane and exciting and intimidating. And also it's just going to, you know, it's going to completely alter workflows. Like why not whenever you're creating your sizzle or your pitch, like there was, I always fixate on the funny ones. Like I want Todd to talk more about the legit ones like we've done in the past, but like I fixate on the silly ones because like there was one that I shared with the no film school team. And I think we might've posted about it. And I was shocked more readers didn't like this because I thought it was amazing was one that generates movie posters. And have you guys, did you guys see that one? No. Oh man, I had so much fun with this. Like I laughed really hard for a while and I was like screenshotting them and sending you just like, you know, you click generate and it just generates movie posters and they look, they are so close. And every once in a while, something's so off that it's hilarious because it's like a face with the eyes pointing the wrong way or something. But like they're, they're just so close to movies that you kind of get this, you enter this weird spot where you're like, that okay that's a pixar movie like for sure like someone's had that idea and pitched it and that's the poster like or there's others that are just like that's so close to something that actually exists but just a little bit different in the same way that you constantly hear executives wanting people to create something that exists but it's just a little bit different like that's the famous thing like give me the same thing but different there's something weird there's this collision course you know what i'm talking about that's just like between the what we try to do when we generate a new same thing and what AI does, which is it is generating a new same thing. And I, it's alarming to me, but, <laughs> but philosophically fascinating. I'm looking at some of these posters like steel magnolias. Have you seen this one? It's, it's obviously you guys know steel magnolias. Julia Roberts won the Oscar for it, but, and it's a play, but this is a sort of Terminator type dystopian <laughs> creature oh, nice. standing nice. in a field of flowers. And I'm like, yes. brilliant. That is also a movie I may want to see. I would totally watch the so, movie from that poster. So uh, I guess I'll start. Um, <laughs> so I, this is like, since this all came out, it, it had like, and, and since the last time I complained about all this, it has gotten, yeah, there it is. Nice. I mean, yeah. I'd I'd watch that movie probably. It has gotten better, like, and and there's actually new tools emerging that, um, like, one thing that like Midjourney originally you had to just feed a prompt. Now there's some of them out there that you can actually feed imagery and then tell it to alter the imagery based on your prompt. So yeah. one thing that you can do now is upload a picture of an actor and say put them in a dystopian sci-fi environment, have them framed in the middle wide shot two three five crop and then you get concept art and it looks dope and it looks like something that you'd see in a movie and um yeah and you know it's funny it's like as much as i've kind of been complaining i just realized currently right now my machine if i, I apologize if it's loud i'm running an ai model that's turning a bunch of pictures I took of my Halloween pumpkin into a 3D model. So <laughs> it's like, I can't really complain too much about it because it's something that I'm using all the time. To me, it's just like this concept of inevitability. Like, I, I want someone, to hear you complain, some, Todd. Even if you use it, I still want to hear you complain. <laughs> well, it's, aren't you just kind of doing the classic, like, isn't your perspective sort of the classic, like the tool 
does should not become the tooler or like the artist like like the the brush we don't like don't mistake i don't have the saying up the tip of my well tongue i mean i'll here, put it this like, way don't let the brush is not the artist you know it's just a different brush right yeah i mean it's complex obviously and it's inevitable that's the that's the thing for me is it's like once this came out, I was like, well, that's going to change everything and people are going to get, there's going to be a lot of friction about it for a while, but you can't stop it now. I mean, now the, the it's, it's, you can't unlearn the, the learning engine at this point. But, you know, it's like, for me, a good example that, that I've kind of gone to a few times is there was like a, oh my gosh, um, the lost pilgrim, a woman in the, the 1700s. <laughs> See, you just, all you do is you click that button. I'll let you continue, but um, I'm just I'm just showing. You. And then you get the untrusting elf and the sort of truth. Okay. And you get this weird poster, and then you the get an untrusting movie. elf. Yeah. Must for find sure. the magical sort of truth. Like it gives you a log line. Like it does the work. Selling the movie anyway. Uh, I, it's it's, it's crazy. a it's an interesting thing. Like so, uh, recently there was like a state fair art competition thing somewhere, and someone entered some of a series of mid journey generated art, and it won. And there was a big outburst about it because, you know, the person didn't create the art. <laughs> it's not, you didn't create it. You typed in a thing. Like, and I, I, I don't see how you could put that up against something that someone's hands physically painted and, and act like you did something. Because even at its, in its very essence, Midjourney is using previously created images. But then, you know, everyone always says like all art is copied other art so it's just like it's like, it's like when a when a when a, a musical artist uses samples yeah and then we talk about that just like we talked there's about there's still like, some craftsmanship lift. in using yeah. samples yeah well. it's it the line gets so blurred though because like you start off with like these big old building blocks where you're like well, we all use characters and plot. <laughs> and you get like these smaller ones where it's like, well, Tarantino uses the same archetypes or George Lucas. And then you get even smaller and you're like, well, somebody used an AI like or or like a thing based off Chewbacca. And then you get more and more like granular into the, like the pieces that are being reused. So then we're just like shuffling like pixels around, yeah. like the same old pixels over and over. It's fascinating to me, though. Like, yeah, I, I don't have the answers. It's just there's like the the more the more like esoteric artist part of my brain that's like, ooh, this is interesting. And I want to be like accepting of this because this is the new wave of the future. And I just got to, you know, put up with it or else I'm going to lose out eventually. But it's still like there's still just this overwhelming thing in my head going, this is going to cost people their jobs eventually. Like, it's not right now, but give it five years and give that machine learning enough time to learn. And some people are going to be screwed and concept art's going to be a harder industry to get into. And people who like, you'll be able to type in, like put the rock in the shining and then you're going to watch the rock in the shining. Like it's going to happen. It's, it's coming. Oh, Oh, the way it combines with the deep fake stuff is the really crazy thing. Like once we get that, those pieces coming together and we're just re, creating and here <laughs> recreating and regurgitating things yeah the rock and the shining they don't really get it there's just a rock with, with some the, light around it there's, there's I, just rock generated, shining. I just generated a movie that makes no sense and the poster makes no sense either and i'm looking at it I'm like wow that's hilarious but what we're gonna the jobs that are, are gonna get replaced it's like a real thing like mm -hmm. the idea that we talked about with bruce willis of like bruce willis could could theoretically keep being in movies 
Well, he could also keep being in movies that just robots generate titles and posters and log lines and then remix scenes. That's not that crazy to suggest. Like, just remix action movie scenes, you know? So I actually, I have sort of a long ramble about this, but bear with me because I'm actually going to get somewhere, I think. Which is, so there's like a couple of threads I see coming together, and I, I see like a top-end thread and a bottom-end thread. The top-end thread I see is like, legitimately, there are going to be jobs lost. I had a friend when I moved to LA, she was awesome, and her job was visual research for an ad agency. Like, she went to libraries to scan books, and so when the ad agency was doing pitches, they'd have all these images. And then J-Lo wore yeah. that dress. And all the pervs on the internet wanted to see pictures of the dress. And so Google Images created, Google created Google Images for the pervs. And within two or three years. I love that that's the entry point here. And it probably was. I mean, that Google Images, like their origin story is the JLo dress. That's why Google invented really? Google Images. Oh the, there were so many searches for a photo of that dress that they were like, oh, we need mm -hmm. image only search. And within a couple of years, my friend was out of a job at an ad agency because every commercial director just did all of their own visual research on Google Images. And I think about stuff like Roger Corman. Like Roger Corman had a famous thing where he was like, don't pitch me a movie, bring me a poster. Which like Roger Corman was a, like a great equalizer of the 60s and 70s and gave many people an opportunity. But still that privileged people who could pay an artist or make a movie poster themselves. We are in this interesting space where everyone can now make a movie poster, even if you do not have art skills or the budget to pay someone. And I think what we're going to see at the top end in pitching, in commercials and music videos and all of that, is there will be an escalation of the kind of things we're expected to deliver to a pitch, because it will be easier to create those things. So I think that while some creative artists will have less work, I think there will be more pitching work happening and our expectations will be higher. Because like expectations change. The work you had to do to land mm -hmm. a commercial in 1995 compared to the work you have to do to land a commercial now are wildly different. So we're going to watch that shift happen. And so I do, as much as I'm like, I don't know, I love this, The Rock, the actor in the movie, The Shining Digital Art. It makes me really happy. It's I think good. We need they did a good, they actually kind of, I'm uh, curious about that movie. A, cu a couple of them just have rocks on their face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty literal. Um, there's also a lot more hair on these actors than the actual rock has. Um, I can say that because right. I also I think it's, the it's, hybrid, it's a hybrid of Jack Nicholson and yeah. The Rock. I think you're right. I if they had right. a baby. I, I, we should pitch that movie. A movie in which yeah. Jack Nicholson and The Rock have a baby and they have to take care of it. Yeah. But I think that what I'm also interested in is do you guys know the asylum it was this production company in la their whole thing was they would make a movie for a hundred thousand dollars with a name that sounded like the real name to try and take advantage of people asking to rent a movie so like they made transmorphers is the one that i remember when transformers was a big hit and like we can make fun of the asylum all we want i know many people who got their start like their first dp credit was an asylum movie and now they have careers like they're making these hundred thousand dollar movies and people could make stuff I cannot wait to see what whatever the current version of the asylum is making black dum dum or as black Adam or black a dame or whatever, because there's AI video now. And I'm sure that they are just going to make cheap little knockoffs to try and confuse people because the whole business model of the asylum was that they didn't care about the movie at all because they got the rental based on the name sounding like the name of the other movie. They were not cared about. They didn't care about repeat business. So you could just do whatever you wanted. And somebody's going to try and do that with AI art and try and get the stream out of it on YouTube. So it'll be very interesting to see how that space goes. I have a, a thought and it this might be, bear with me on this one. So 
You know, when a studio movie comes out and you're like, what happened in act three or a commercial on there on the television as they are, or before your YouTube video as they are. And you're like, I get that this is like funny in theory, but this isn't funny. And it's because there were so many, like too many cooks in the kitchen. And like in those instances, I feel like they're scenarios that are often like lacking like one person's vision one person's through line that's like being sort of put out to everyone else and then of course you know in the best case scenarios and I think of like simple moments that I see when I'm like editing projects and I just see this like one tiny little reaction from an actor that's like she frowns but then she twitches and then she smiles and nods and it and and that feels like something that they will be missing. Like there is that uncanny valley with AI, just as there is the almost the equivalent of that when there are too many cooks because it loses that through line. And so I still feel like, well, there, I think it will become a tool and I think we can use it to like generate and spark amazing things and create hilarious alts art or things that become mainstream. But I still feel like there's this like, soul in a in a project in in art in the thing that we're creating that will can only be there when it's like a human making it i don't know maybe i'm naive but that's what i think yeah i mean i think this is kind of my last point on it for for now but it's like the thing that i've seen a lot in like the vfx and um just visual art community is is like a it's used as a time saver for various things like creating textures and um a lot i see a lot of people use it for kind of helping them decide early on what the composition of the frame will be and so what they're doing is they're taking a a conglomerate of all the various images that the ai model is using and saying this is these are the most common types of looks and so therefore if people put that as their composition. So they'll, you know, most of the time it's a little character in the middle of a big sci-fi scene or whatever. And it's the same thing we've all seen a hundred billion times. And that's kind of to your point, like, it's like, I feel like we're just going to more and more start seeing this like samey stuff than we already have been. And there's not going to be that sort of like esoteric out there idea as often. And I don't know. I I think I have a bow we can put on it. I, cause I wanted to throw out like one more kind of thought or, or some summary, you know, Gigi talked about the idea that there's like a craftsmanship. It's kind of like if you could see fingerprints on the clay pot or something and like, or, or just like some of us have an attachment to, you know, older medium, myself included. Like I like celluloid. It just feels different. You know, even though, even when I fired up mission impossible one from 1995 over the weekend with my kids and my father-in-law, I was just like, ah, film, it's just different. You know, even on my TV and streaming through everything. But there's this thing that's like the tool and the artist that I've been kind of going back and forth on, which is like every time we make a jump, you know, there's something we worry about is lost a little bit. And like, I think that if you had to write things entirely by hand or go back farther and and remember entire epic poems by memory and, and only communicate them verbally, that then every time you make a jump or a shift, you're kind of like something's lost here. And yes, I something is and something else is gained. And we kind of get something else that's new and better. And we also get a lot more lazy crap 
<laughs> like 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 Todd's talking about, like the amount of same laziness like increases because we all talk about all the time, like we all have cameras, right? We all have we all have phones, like we can all make a movie, right? Well, yes, we can, and we all are, and most of it's just ah, like you know, like white noise. Some of it's great and hidden in there, but I but I think like Chinatown is written in an era that's far removed from like writing with a quill, and it's still genius. And then we get stuff even more recently that's written on a word processor or computer. It's genius, and like you keep like kind of progressing, and there's like the two things. Like you can still find that greatness. So someone's going to do some amazing shit with AI that's beautiful and human. Like as much as I love celluloid, I went and saw uh, like Nightmare Alley last year. It's all digital. They did so much VFX and it is just gorgeous. So like you can, like somebody, people will. So it's not like, it's not like it's all ruined, but I, but I do think what happens is there just becomes this glut of extra weird junk because it's so easy to just be like, bop, 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 I'm going to generate a movie. <laughs> like, and we all have to watch it now. <laughs> like, Elf no. in the stone of goodness. <laughs> I mean, I for one continue to miss the days when screenwriters had to come in and orally recite their entire screenplay to you through the oral tradition in order for you to approve a project. I feel like that was like the good times, right? This whole like reading the script on paper thing ruined the industry. Uh, from that, on to the next stage of the oral tradition. Next topic today, giving notes. This is actually something I talk about with my nice. students constantly, <laughs> which is for the rest of your career, you are going to be giving notes. The, good, notes is not just about receiving them. Like, we all have to practice how to receive them and be gracious and whatnot. But learning to give notes, like, even if you are the most successful director in the world, James Cameron is giving notes to other filmmaker peers. Guillermo del Toro is absolutely working on other people's projects and producing stuff and giving feedback and you know, like people work with each other and collaborate. And if you end up not as successful as them, you're going to end up working in commercial production and music videos and giving and receiving feedback is one of the biggest skills we need to practice as filmmakers. And it's one of those things that like, I've seen people's careers advance when they started paying more attention to how they gave notes. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I have really strong feelings about it. Like I, I'm curious to know though, before we jump in, do you guys have each of you, the three of you, like a strategy when you give notes to someone about how you do it? And do you think about how you're going to do it or do you just kind of go like, and what's your, what's your approach? And I'm with Charles kind of like, do you, do you actually teach like, Hey, here's an approach. Here's how you should approach it. I, I, I mean, this is a classic constructive feedback strategy, but I do believe in the compliment sandwich like start with what's working. I think that you're doing somebody a disservice if if they ask for notes and you don't give them constructive feedback and come with solutions and then end on something else that's working. Like big picture, the concept is really working. And I think if you nail this, then that will unlock all of this. And And one thing that grinds my gears is like gold stars for just doing it, which is something that I think... Uh, like in it's very easy to like let that be a feedback loop and and kind of be like well like my aunt said it was great so like you don't know what you're talking about like i i think that in order to be a great storyteller and filmmaker you have to seek out the constructive feedback and that's why i always go to charles for notes because i'm like he's gonna tell me the truth so interesting Truly, yeah. in the best way possible. yeah no i'm i'm a tough note giver if so so my first rule of notes is i don't <laughs> give notes if i'm not asked 
Like if someone just invites me to their screening, I just yeah. love their movie. Like that's just it. Like you're my friends. I'm here to support. If you don't ask me for notes, I don't give them. And I learned that a really hard way. I got invited by a producer friend to like a reading by uh, an actor who's now passed away, but he was like an eighties prominent actor and he'd written a play. And like afterward, I'd like, you know, I was like 20. I'd just gotten out of undergrad and I like tore, I like had all these notes and thoughts. And <laughs> I heard later, he thought I was such an unbearable dick through my producer friend. And I like had a long conversation with my producer friend about when it's appropriate, when it's not. And it was like a very valuable early lesson. Cause like it was mostly an enjoyable play. I was looking for shit to say, cause I thought it would be impressive. I was a little twerp. But if you ask me for notes, I will give them happily. I'm happy to give notes. And I used to do the sandwich method, which is, you know, you open with what works because something works in everything. And then the meat of it is your structured criticism. And then you end with a compliment. Until I read this book, Verbal Judo, which I'm not talking about two weeks in a row. I talked about it last week. Verbal yes. Judo is a is a conflict management book. And Verbal Judo has this saying where it's like the sandwich method worked in the 50s, but it no longer works because everyone knows it. So the whole time you are giving that opening compliment, they're waiting on the criticism. And I was like, oh, shit, you're totally right. I know when I'm being sandwiched. I can tell. I know what you're saying. And I'm not listening to any of the good stuff. So verbal judo says start with the tough and then wrap with what works mm. because they're only, like, they, they don't hear any of the – and it's as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, it's totally right. I'm just sitting there waiting for the criticism. I'm not taking you seriously for what worked. And um, that was like a nice little verbal, ju verbal judo moment where I was like, yeah, let's just start with, all right, guys, let's start with what I think you're trying to do, how you've achieved the thing you're trying to do and how you've not. And then what I took away from what I feel like was successful about what you did, verbal judo does not call this the open face sandwich, but I'm going to call it the open face sandwich right now. <laughs> it's just a low carb method, right? Yeah. It's just the you lettuce wrap. <laughs> the lettuce wrap. Yeah. I think my, aside from what everyone else already said, to me, one of my first steps is sort of give, like getting an idea of the context of which phase in the process I'm giving feedback at. So mm -hmm. it's really important to me because nothing's more annoying than when you get feedback on things that you're like, no, I, I mean, obviously I was going to do that. Um, so like <laughs> it, it's a, it, there's, there's a difference between getting feedback to, on giving feedback on like what's considered a finished piece. But like, I like to always kind of open with like, what are you wanting feedback on right now specifically? And like, what do you intend to do from here already? And that way I can watch it gauging on, assuming it's visual medium, like I can, I can watch it and then sort of give them feedback based on what I think they're going to do later on or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so like, like, for example, like my best friend's a composer and he always writes with like literally just like MIDI notes. Like he, he'll, he'll write a composition where it's just like, it just sounds like little like me, like it doesn't sound like music yet he's he's <laughs> one of, like he's showing me that the the chords and like the actual music theory shit and i don't know anything about that so to me it sounds like kind of whack sometimes mm -hmm. and then i'm like so wait what how how is how are these going to sound later on and he's like oh it's going to be like a really swelling you know beautiful <laughs> orchestral sound and i'm like can you show it to me like that next time? Because I don't really know how to gauge <laughs> this, you know? So yeah, I think that's just important to sort of know, like, I, I don't know. I, if, if you're watching like a rough cut and you're like, why is the color correction so bad? You know, that's that doesn't really work. And it's really frustrating when that happens. This is just a tool. Recently, the Screenwriter Life podcast did a writer's group deep dive with this writer's group that uh, of the 
four writing entities. They Three of them have won the nickel. So they're clearly doing something right. They've been doing it for 10 years. And obviously, like it's a different type of feedback when you're at the script phase than the edit phase, than the composing phase. But my writers group tested out their methodology for the last two weeks. And it's it's also really great. And I'd say it's a layer cake uh, method um, because you start with macro notes and whoever's receiving the notes doesn't talk. Uh, and everyone goes around and shares their macro notes. Then you share micro notes, so spot notes, not including like typos or anything like that. Send that outside of it because that's a waste of our time. And then finally, it's a discussion at the end. So I guess that's the densest layer of the layer cake. That's like a geological survey. One of the biggest debates actually in academics is whether or not the artist should talk in a critique. And like I, for 15 years of my career, was like, no, you should never talk. You should sit there quietly and you should nod and you should say thank you and you should receive things and you should never argue and it should just be calm. But there's been a big movement in the last couple of years. And I actually read a really great article about this a couple of years ago about the way in which that is a helpful discipline for artists who tend to talk too much, but it is a un like it is not a one size fits all. Like there are artists who should also get in the habit of giving context and explanation. And it's been a real eye eye opener for me that this like blanket rule where I was like, no, you made the thing. The thing should speak for itself is not necessarily the right fit in all circumstances in a way that I used to think it was. The layer cake sounds fantastic. A layer cake and an open space sandwich is like a a full night out, I think. (laughs) It's it's a two course. One of the things that I kind of like asking about it and wanting to talk about it is that I think so. I think we're we've very like in so many ways in our culture in general. I think we're extremists. I think we have this idea and and the layer cake and the open sandwich both tend to address it in their own way. But I think we have this thing where we are full of like of like meaningless platitudes where we're just like gold stars great. Like we do a lot of that and then we do a lot of the other extreme. Like we champion the other extreme too where we're just like rip it apart. You know, like just like be a perfectionist. Like you mentioned James Cameron or you or or like we think about like a Steve Jobs or like we we kind of like we put on a different pedestal this idea that it's like it's never just right. Mm. But we also I think do put on a pedestal sometimes this kind of like maybe comes from certain HR corporate cultures and and like child rearing and stuff where it's just like encouragement encouragement good good good. I think that in that we lose what I personally think would be the most valuable, which is if we can reach a place where we're just in like a conversation Mm. about what is working and what isn't and why and what might work. And it's not a series of agendas that's like picking something apart and then it has to be or should be, or there's a version of this that's right. And this isn't it. There's like, to me, that certainty that anybody has, like I've always felt like oftentimes when I'm giving notes, even when I'm trying to be critical, I'm kind of like, but what the fuck do I know? Mm. Like, I'm just one idiot. Like, even if I'm your boss, <laughs> like, it's like, maybe, you know, better, maybe you could figure it out. Maybe I just have thoughts here and take them or leave them. Or what, what, in, what have I said that makes you excited about working on it again, or makes you think that there's something interesting there or like, cause just humility seems to be lacking. Like the humility that, you know, our notes are meant to push people in a direction maybe, or encourage a different idea or I don't know. But like I, to me, the note that the, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it was like, I, I sometimes feel like I don't even know how to approach it anymore because I think you want to get people in a position where they are inspired and excited 
to keep working and fixing something, but you don't want them to overlook things that, that you can identify as like, obviously like going to be an issue like somewhere, somehow, but there's something that happens. Like I said, that I think is like this, like the things just go so far. And like that idea of like, we just gloss over the the first piece of bread in the sandwich because we are always just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Great work overall. Like you'll see people don't even put that much into it anymore. Like in the first part of the search, they're like really happy with this, but by the way, and then you get like your five paragraphs and then at the end, but like, you know, so it's just for, I, I feel like we need balance and I feel like we need to make it more about like what would excite me in a creative process or in a creative a future would be people interested in engaging about how do we make things better yeah. together and not like, okay, here's what you need to do next. Well, I, or, or just like, great. See you later. Bye. <laughs> I got to, enough time for this. To your point, like I, I really think I, this is something I feel very strongly about. And, and I just realized like I, I try to do this every time I give feedback is wherever possible. Um, do not give feedback that takes out of the creator's hands, the ability to have the decision themselves. So like, I love to give feedback. That's more like, Hey, just FYI, I kind of feel this way when I see this part, but, but leave it vague enough where they know like there's something kind of not working, but they get to still have the idea that fixes it. And, and that therefore then still allows the piece to have their imprint on it or whatever. I hate feedback. That's like, move this shot here. Unless it just has to happen. Sometimes it has to happen, but if (laughs) if it's move this shot here or like, Hey, what if you put this scene here or whatever, especially coming from someone who isn't an editor, that's not cool with me. Like it, to me, it's like right. if you if you can give the feedback that's like, hey, on this part, that shot just felt kind of weird and like maybe lasted a little too long. If you can give feedback sometimes, that way, sometimes when you do that or when you say the like, did you ever consider like if you tried this and then they're like, yeah, I did it. It really exactly. Didn't work for yeah, like, sometimes I already tried, they've tried it. And there's there's another uh, aspect to that. This this definitely feels like a verbal judo type thing or like verbal inception. But you can plant in someone else the idea that you think they should have. Like you can lead the horse to water a little bit sometimes where you're just like, you can talk to somebody about like the thing that might like, do you think it, like this kind of thing and then ask them questions and then they'll have the idea and get to the place where you were trying to get them kind of like Socratic method style, you know, like you can, you can put people in a position where they will identify that thing themselves and then they'll fall in love with it because everybody likes something they came up with. You know? The other thing that I always like to remember about feedback that I love is if you haven't read WordPlayer, everybody who wants to write should read WordPlayer. It's a great website written by either Ted Elliott or Terry Rossio, and I forget which, and I apologize. But the, the two people who wrote co-write, co-wrote the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, one of them wrote a great blog about screenwriting. And there's an entry in there on the phrase, this is the bad version. And one of my favorite ways when I'm collaborating with someone is to be like, oh, well, this is the bad version, but you could do something like this. And like, it takes all the stakes out. It means that I'm suggesting the general idea that you need a, a you need a subplot in Act Two, and the bad version is is that now there's a cop hunting them, and that's the bad version. You just need something ratcheting up tension there or whatever. And like, I love that. It's so useful because it it takes the onus away from like I'm not trying to push my idea on you. I'm giving examples of, yes. and then you come up with your idea of of the better version of what I just said, the bad version. And the other thing, I mean, I resonated so much with what I love that so much. All I ever have are bad <laughs> versions. Like I'm just throwing out bad versions right and left. Yeah. Like you fix it. Like you figure yeah. it out. Um, and then the other thing. It's so helpful though, because it helps as the receiver of notes, you can tangibly start to think about what 
could happen. Okay, well, that that's a way to move the story forward or to get from A to B. It it it, it breaks you out of how these grooves that you've been so deeply ingrained in, especially if you've been writing, shooting, directing, yeah. editing this project, as most people are. Um, and the other thing I loved about the layer cake is that it separated macro from micro. Because the micro notes, the like, your third act is too long, or like, I'm a little confused at the character introduction, is great stuff. But I feel like the most neglected, I feel like we get really caught up in like the micro notes. Like we've all read McKee's story. We've all read Save the Cat. Like it's really easy to be like, you know, I'm not tracking like, you know, and I've, everyone in Hollywood has, you should read those books. You should understand the language they use. They're not bad, but they are a specific kind of structure. But the macro conversation of like, what's the theme? What are you trying to say? What matters to you about this? Like, are you successfully telling a story that is like about the kind of characters you want to tell a story about and communicating the things about the world you want to communicate, I feel like it's lost a lot in the like really easy, like, oh, well, your third act, it's a little, it's a little laggy. That needs to, you know, it's like four sequences should be two. And so I love that layer cake starts with macro. That's a really nice way to start it. Mm. I have such a good metaphor for that. Just because what you said reminded me of it. I have like an injury. I injured myself. It's been harder to do exercise stuff. And I went to a PT, a physical therapist. And one of the questions they asked was like, what are your, like, what are you, what's your goal when you go into a gym? And I was kind of like, I'm here because my knee hurts. <laughs> like we're talking, to, we're here for a specific thing, but it re, it made me realize that like, that's the macro of the layer cake was kind of like, there's a big picture here that you should always have in mind when you approach something. Mm -hmm. And then there's these micro things that might be going on that are absolutely connected. But like, what are you trying to do? Like in the end, what is your script trying to do? Like, and those big things are so important. And if we just talk about like, you know, I didn't really believe it when so-and-so on page 35 said this, it's just like, well, you know, why are we here in the first place? Right. Yeah. All right. Final topic this week. Ask no film school. I've got to look up the person again, but I'll go ahead and summarize the article. The question, the question. Um, yes. Cameron asks, Cameron Cullen asks, what accessories would you recommend for shooting on an iPhone for a beginning filmmaker? And the first thing I absolutely have to say is you can actually do a whole lot on an iPhone with no accessories. But if you are interested in accessories, the first thing to do is a microphone. Because the hardest thing for a phone, which you've got over here shooting a shot, you're never going to put your phone in the same place you want the mic to be. And Rode makes a mic, Deity makes a mic. There's a bunch of people who make good mics you can plug in to your iPhone with the lightning port or Bluetooth. And like step one, microphone before anything else, before stabilizers, lens, microphone. Todd, do you have other stuff you, you would use for phone work? Uh, no, I have, I'm not, I'm, I haven't done a ton of the phone thing. I mean, I did, I definitely, you know, they, they have all those like anamorphic adaptery kind of things, but I, I honestly, I'm kind of like you. I feel like if you're, to me, the, the first thing that you have to decide if you're going to shoot something on an iPhone is like, am I trying to make this not look like an iPhone or am I leaning into that this was shot on an iPhone? And I, I just think that's kind of like a decision you have to make thematically and everything um, early on. And I guess if you are trying to make it not look like an iPhone, yeah, like some of the moment like fi filters, like the anamorph, they have like a anamorphic fil filter or um, those things where you can attach other lenses or whatever. And I guess it also kind of depends on which model of iPhone you have and all that. But um, I mean, I recommend using Filmic Pro if you're going to record uh, so you can change frame rates, you can shoot in 24 I guess you can do that now without it, but there's but just like a little bit more functionality. 
Yeah, you can control exposure, lock exposure, all that kind of stuff. So I think for me, it would almost, it would more so be like app based, I think, than uh, hardware based stuff that I like. So Filmic Pro is a, is a, is my big recommendation. Is Filmic Pro the only one you really need, or are there some other things you should For have? shooting on it, it's the one. There, yeah. there are other apps. If yeah. you become a DP, you're going to want to have Artemis, you're going to want to have Scriptation, you're going to want to have Camera Kit, but like for shooting on it. Sunfinder, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, I think Sunseeker, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah I use that all You guys the time. are stressing me out. <laughs> <laughs> all these things that I've never heard of. Well, good thing I don't want to be a DP at, at the moment. Um, I think I do have a couple of those adapters though on my iPhone. Oh, yeah. The morphic one is really, really yeah. fun. Like the latch like on ones. It looks really fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think one thing that, in, and I'm the, the opposite of a tech person of the, this, but I think in that, coming out of that run and gun shoot that we shot on iPhones two weekends ago that we talked about last week, I think find a great location where the lighting is already like in this parking garage. It was just so spooky and there weren't, there weren't white walls. It was like green and yellow, like that ups the production quality instantly. So, you know, yeah, you have your phone with you. It lets, that is a tool that lets you film anywhere. So go be bold and film in the world. (laughs) Yeah, no. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. Ever really, right? Pick a good place to shoot. Like that, that's like 90%. (laughs) You're a long way towards where you want to be. Good light, good place. Yeah actor <laughs> right all right well that's this week on the no film school podcast next week we will be replaced by four digital anima and avatars it'll be the max headroom <laughs> am i a podcast beer. yeah um yes <laughs> i will be replaced by a glass of beer and you three will just talk to a glass of beer uh i'm Charles Hayne. I'm hey, on it's the two internet. o'clock here that we record this so i can have beer uh while we record and so i'll, I'll just bring a beer next time okay <laughs> yeah. there we go i love it texas um, I'm Charles Hain. I'm on the internet at Charles Hain and I make YouTube videos lately. I'm at Lost in Graceland and I'm Gigi Hawkins. Flipped those. Um, I'm doing a pitch your podcast workshop with the WGA in November. It's looking like so. Keep an eye out for that if you want to learn how to pitch your podcast. I'm Todd Blankenship. You can find me on YouTube and Instagram at Am I a Filmmaker? And, uh, I won't be making any AI art anytime soon. You're making it right now, Todd. You're full of lies. <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. Dang it. I'm going to keep generating these movies. And it was everything I could do not to just screen share the whole time and show you the weird ones. I was, um, I'm George Edelman, editor-in-chief at No Film School. And you can read about everything we talked about today and more at nofilmschool.com. You can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. You can go to Instagram. You can do stuff here on YouTube where we are or wherever you get your podcasts. And please remember to like, rate, and subscribe, and comment, and send us your questions. We've got a great question this week from Cameron, and it's always fun to hear from the audience, whether we're right or wrong about stuff or you have comments or whatever. So editor at nofilmschool.com. 